First John, walking in the light. We started this last Sunday morning, and I said we'd finish this text. It's a tricky text, a fascinating text. So we're continuing with the title, The Life of Prayer and the Sin that Leads to Death. And that phrase comes right out of that text. The Life of Prayer and the Sin that Leads to Death. We're looking at 1 John chapter 5. 13 through 17. So if you're here in the sanctuary or at home, grab your Bible, however you have it, hard copy, online, on your smartphone, unless you just have the whole New Testament memorized. The life of prayer and the sin that leads to death. 1 John 5, starting at verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. 15. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. That's what we studied last week, specifically that topic of prayer. Asking, receiving. Have you ever asked for something and not received? How does that work? What does that mean? We looked at that particularly last Sunday, and that's online if you'd like to see it. Picking up 16. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is a sin that does not lead to death. There are four truths that we're pulling out of this great text, and we considered two of them last week. Uh, the first was spiritual life longs to draw near to God. I get that in that 14th verse. And this is the confidence that we have toward him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Note that little word toward. It's a, it's a direction word. This is where the spiritual heart, this is where it's, it's aimed. It's, it's, it's pointed toward. Toward God. It, it comes to God. It's a heart that, that makes approach to God. So first, you can check your heart. True spiritual life longs to draw near to God. The second thing we looked at was God responds to those who draw near to him. That's what you get if you put 14 and 15 together. This is the confidence that we have toward him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. He's not unresponsive. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. Those are the two points we considered last Sunday morning. Today I have two more points that I want us to study together. So this would be point number three, if you pick it up from last Sunday. Point number three, 
I must pray for my brother's sins or my sister's sins with the same passion that I pray for my own. You get that in that 16th verse especially. If anyone, if anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin. And there is a sin that does not lead to death. There is sin that does not lead to death. It doesn't usually enter my mind that my prayers for my own needs could possibly go unanswered because I don't pray with the same passion for my brother's needs as I'm praying for mine. That's, that's why John kind of inserts this strong caution. They're, they're difficult words. If you weren't teaching through the whole letter... A church would never study this text. Never. That's the value of allowing, you know, the text to select the topic as you work through a whole book like this. So, so John has already taught that the whole world in which we live, he says it's under the control of the evil one. 519. We are all journeying in hostile territory in this world. And I sense that for my own needs. But do I sense that for my brother, for my sister in Christ? That, that they are in a world that is constantly pulling them in the wrong direction. Constantly trying to wear them out. Constantly trying to twist their faith. Mess with their minds, their confidence in God. That's John's point. In my prayer time, I must remember that I'm not the only one with struggles and problems and issues and a fallen heart. I'm not the only one who blows it. I'm not the only one needing divine help. Does this show up in my prayer life? That's what John is saying. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, doesn't even say I'm going to him, I'm trying to straighten him out. Doesn't say that. But boy, I pray for him. I see, I see what's going on in that person's life. I see what's going on in that couple's marriage. I see what's going on in that young person's life. And I just can't help but spending time just praying, Oh God, work there. Keep, keep them close to you. Keep them from making bad decisions. Keep them from wandering from your way. Keep them from quitting church. Keep them rooted in your word. question. How often do I stop and think that my prayer can help give that brother or that sister spiritual life? It can give that person spiritual life. Isn't that what the middle of verse 16 says? If anyone sees his brother or sister committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life. Wow. Wow. 
We don't even know what to do with those words. So, so notice, this is not just a person who sins. This is a brother who sins. So if a church comes to view itself merely as a collection of individuals, well, there's going to be gossip. Maybe not the verbal kind. It'll show up in posts and tweets. And there'll be gossip. There'll be slander. There'll be cruelty. There'll be division. All kinds of petty, little, scrappy sins. But, but if we aren't just individuals who sit relatively close together, not as close as we used to, So we're not just a crowd of individuals. We're brothers and sisters, spiritual flesh and blood. It it makes a difference if we get the picture. And John says you can tell when a church really knows this truth on the inside of their hearts. If a church sees everyone in the crowd as a brother or a sister, here's what the church will do. When they see a person sinning, they'll drop to their knees and they'll pray. They'll pray. John's very in my face with that in this text. What does, does the inverse apply? Does the inverse apply that my brother or sister will fall into sin unless there's people upholding him or her in prayer? Is, is that what John means? Does it mean, does it mean they're vulnerable if there's not people praying all the time? My prayer is, it's not the only way, but it's one of God's ordained means for bringing grace and power into my brother's life. Now, point number four. There is a sin that leads to death. And John says we we need to think about it because he talks about it several times. 16 and 17. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death. So we want to talk about that in a minute. What what does he mean, death? He shall ask and God will give him life. So I think we're meant to see a contrast there. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death, there is a sin that leads to death. I do not say one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is a sin that does not lead to death. So these verses, man, they've just been debated. I have, uh, I just went and counted. I have 67 commentaries on 1 John in my library. You could get five different views on what these verses mean. Let me give you my thoughts. So this is 4A. I don't think, personal opinion, okay? I think you have to be a little little, uh, humble in interpreting these words. I don't think the sin that leads to death refers to a sin that God punishes by physical death. Some people do. So what I'm saying is I don't think I don't think this text carries the same idea as 
the warnings in the communion passage. These words. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, that's the body here, the body of Christ, not the body of Jesus on the cross. Anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you, see, there's just no debating these words. We don't like them, but they're pretty clear. That is why many of you are weak and ill. Some have died. Past tense, they have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. So, <coughs> excuse me. Obviously, there are sins that do lead to physical death. Again, we're not comfortable with the idea. Apparently, our comfort isn't the ultimate issue. Being true to the Word is the issue. So there are sins that God judges with physical death. The communion passage, Ananias and Sapphira, right? There's no debating what death is in those passages because they grab them by the feet and drag them out of church and bury them. Pretty sure that's talking about physical death. That's Acts 5, by the way, 1 to 11. So, B, here's why I don't think that's what this text in 1 John is about. I'm not dogmatic, but I think the way you interpret death in verse 16, it has to be consistent with the way you interpret life in the very same verse. When John says, I should pray for my sinning brother and God will give him life, he doesn't mean he was a corpse, dead, and God will raise him from the dead. At least I don't think that's what he means. So I think, I think there's at least a good case to be made. It opens the door for sure to the possibility that the death John is describing in the very same verse could well be some kind of spiritual death, sliding beyond the capacity to repent and return. Some lethal, final separation from God's loving reach and touch. Now, if that's right... What is this sin that leads to death? C, okay, C. In my understanding, the sin unto death is a uh, continued, willful turning my back in hard and persistent rebellion to the spirit of grace and salvation. I think that that sin is described in different ways in different parts of the Bible, and yet the result is always the same. John says, all wrongdoing is sin, 17, but there comes a time when sin becomes fatal. We all sin in different ways. But there's a, there's a kind of sinning heart that, that never comes home, loses the capacity for repentance, uh, there's a certain solidified, sinful disposition that becomes hard to the very end of the road. This has always been, this has always been a concern for those with a heart for God. This is what makes people pray for brothers and sisters when they fall into even small sins. They, they can see a direction conform in a life. Pray, pray. Look at Psalm 
19.13. Keep back your servant also from... See these? Presumptuous sins. Let them not have... Look at this word. Dominion. They, they start to rule after a while. They become slave drivers. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless, innocent of great transgression. It doesn't mean sinless, but not this kind of sin, David says. Don't let that happen. Don't let that happen in my heart. There's, there's sin and there's presumptuous sins. Check the Old Testament for yourself. There was no provision in the law. And I know we're not under that dispensation. I get it. I'm just saying there's, there were no provisions or sacrifices for high-handed, consistent, willful sins. Presumptuous sins are sins they're committed with, with an unrepentant kind of stubbornness. Even Jesus, with all his love and perfect heart, he was still honest enough, I think, to talk about the subject. Truly, truly, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit... By the way, that's not... I'll talk about that in a minute. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit... See this? Never has forgiveness. Guilty of an eternal sin. Then Jesus... Mark comments and says, they now... He brought this up because they said, they talking about Jesus, they said he has an unclean spirit. Blaspheming against the Holy Spirit isn't saying certain things. You know, I was in a meeting and I, someone was speaking in tongues and I just said, oh, that's just, that's just nonsense, ridiculous. Don't believe in any of that stuff. That's not what blaspheming the Holy Spirit is. Blaspheming the Holy Spirit is, is that stubborn rejection. What this Holy Spirit does is he comes into my heart and he points me to the truth. Points me to the truth about Jesus. Points me to the truth of the Word. Points me to the truth of my own sin. And you can, in effect, just say, shut up. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to believe it. I refuse to respond to that kind of stuff. And then Mark says, here's why Jesus brought this up. Here's Jesus. He's dressing people who have had ample evidence to know they were wrong and Jesus was right, but they wouldn't change their minds. God's power, God's love, God's presence, his healing touch was manifested to them repeatedly, over and over again. It wasn't easy to deny all that evidence, but they did. Over and over, they would rather say he does his work by demons than say this is, this is God among us. Anything was a good enough excuse as long as they didn't have to bow their knees to Jesus Christ as Lord. Jesus says, there's no hope for that kind of stubbornness. Finally, reluctantly, their wish would be granted. That same idea, by the way, I think is passionately expressed in the letter to the Hebrews. Look at these words. For it is impossible to, here's the issue, restore again to repentance. Those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted of the heavenly gift, who have shared in the life of the Holy Spirit, somehow 
I'm sorry, somehow Calvinists can read all those things and say that's not talking about Christians. And I, I, I just, okay, I, I, I don't know what words mean anymore then. Tasted of the heavenly gift, shared in the life of the Holy Spirit, tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the ages to come. If they then fall away, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding them up to contempt impossible to restore them again to repentance. These were people who had so many good things going for them. Look at how well they started. But the final principle is a very direct one. Either people make room for Jesus repentantly. They fall, they sin, they, they embrace the cross over and over again, or they just crucify him again. And so John, Back to our text. 90-plus-year-old John, who's seen a whole lot of life roll by. He says, you know, you, you really need to be careful. Pray for your brother. Pray for your sister when you see them sinning because there's a lot at stake here. Oh, grace greater than all our sin. Where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. I get it. I believe it. But people still have to come. They still have to want grace. They still have to repent. And he says, there's, there's a time when a heart gets just fixed. I don't know where that line is, and I'm glad I don't have to draw it. I just keep praying. Just as a side, it's interesting to notice the way John refers to the one who commits that sin leading to death. John doesn't call him a brother anymore. The brother is the one who commits the sin that is not unto death. The other sinner is never identified. Boy, Pastor Don, thanks a bunch. That's a great way to end a Sunday morning service. Well, ask John, because this is how he's starting to wrap up his letter. The real question now is, why does John link together, and this is how I said I wanted to wrap up. I said it last Sunday morning. Why does John link together these two subjects, prayer and the sin unto death? If he's going to talk about a sin unto death, why does he do it in the very context of praying? Praying toward God, asking. Why talk about prayer as a lead-in to this horrible subject of the sin that leads to death? And you have to catch John's heart. Here it is. Here it is. Don't miss this. The best way to avoid hardness of heart in yourself or in someone else. The best way to avoid hardness of heart is to pray. That's how hearts are kept tender. That's how hearts are kept alive. That's how hearts are kept humble. That's how hearts constantly want to come and bring everything to the feet of Jesus because he's a sympathetic high priest. He's touched with the feelings of all our infirmities. 
The sin that leads to death doesn't happen in an instant. It creeps up on the soul like mold in a damp basement. Carelessness turns into casualness, turns into indifference, turns into stubbornness, turns into death. Don't trust yourself with your heart. Bring it repeatedly and honestly to Jesus in prayer. I guess you and I don't always know what's going on inside our own skin. Adulterous and murderous David learned pretty quickly how far we can fall from our best selves under the right circumstances. For the rest of David's life, he would pray, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Psalm 139. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be some wicked way. It's prayer. So, more goes on at prayer meetings than meets the eye. Much can be changed in our church. Much can be changed in my heart. And... John says, believe it or not, much can be changed in your brother's heart, too. Much sin can be prevented. Much precious time can be kept from waste. That's why, that's why, waiting on the Lord, as much as it might seem otherwise to you, Waiting on the Lord is never a waste of time. You may just save your soul and your brothers to boot. And everyone said, let's pray. In fact, stand with me just so you're awake when I pray. Praise your name. Let's just give him praise for a minute, church. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Your your word is not only sweet and precious, but it's incredibly honest. We, We need truth from your word, not just sentiment. Thank you for these rich words from the beloved Apostle John. (laughs) Most of us are miles from that terrible sin that he talks about. And, and, And Lord, that's we want to stay miles from that. Keep us on our knees. Keep our hearts open to you and loving in prayerful reach to brothers and sisters in Cedarview Community Church. So bless the truth of your word to our hearts. Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.